Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it fast. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Jake. I'm a Newcastle fan. I uh, write for EPL Index and a few other sites, and you can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. Hi, I'm Rob. Um, I'm a writer at the Manchester Evening News, primarily covering Manchester City. Uh, you can get me on Twitter at Rob Pollard underscore. Hi, I'm Zach. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zach Foster underscore AI, a trainee journalist with News Associates up in Manchester and a Liverpool fan. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, this is usually where we would do making the rounds and talk about our clubs. But as there's not much club news going on, but there are internationals. I thought I'd ask you guys what your thoughts were uh, on the England match against Spain and how confident you are heading uh, into Euro 2016. I thought England were probably going to beat Spain. Um, I didn't actually see the game, so I, I'm not going to go into great detail. I was I was too busy doing other stuff, which were it's just more important than international football. <laughs> I, was, I was too busy watching a whole bunch of fog for about an hour and a half of what was supposed to be the Ireland-Bosnia match, so I get it. <laughs> that was probably more fun than the England game, to be honest. But, uh, I mean, I saw the team that they put out. It wasn't it wasn't full-strength England by, by any means, I don't think. Um, yeah, I mean, we, what can you really take from friendlies? I mean, we've before the World Cup, we drew, we have played really well in Brazil, I seem to remember, and we uh, played really well in a couple of other games, and we got to the World Cup, and it was just dreadful. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't take too much from it. I think England are in a pretty... I'd say we're in a good place. I thought at the World Cup, we played well. We were pro- We probably could have got more if, if things had gone differently. If, uh, I don't know, Rooney took that chance or things like that. But I mean, it's always what ifs in tournament football. But I mean, I feel this this year, I think we're in a better place with our squad. I think we've got some uh, really good young players that are sort of getting to that age where they're, they're not too young that they can't make an impact at uh, a, a competition and they're not like overly old either they're sort of at sort of good tournament age where i think that the uh this euros and the next world cup is where we have a good chance of getting getting far but i mean i mean it's impossible to say that of england we have we've won one tournament in the last like god knows how many years so i mean we're not we're not going into into the euros as favorites but i think we're, we're one of those teams we're certainly one of one of 10 teams that are sort of ones that could go on to win it i mean i mean i think we've got big problems to sort out I Rooney, I don't think he should be anywhere near the team, which 
would have been controversial quite a long time ago. I reckon a lot of people probably agree with me now. I don't think he's he, he's done well enough at club. I, I don't think he really fits into the system, whether you play him as a, a nine or a, a ten or uh, deeper. I don't think we can really fit him into the team. I think if Storage and Kane are fit, they're the two I'd go in with. Because I think Kane has always always looks good in an English shirt from what, when I've seen him. I mean, I can't say what, how he played on uh, Friday night, but I, I always rate him in an English shirt. And I think we've got some really good uh, wingers as well that could sort of get the best out of Storage and Kane, whereas Rooney sort of just slows it down. It's too much about him. Yeah, I'd, that's that's my view on it. My, right now, when I think of England, I just, it just annoys me Wayne Rooney's still still in the team, to be honest. But yeah, I, I think we're in a good place. I don't think we'll win Euros, but I don't think we'll get knocked out in the group either. I think we'll we'll do okay. Um, well, I have to confess, I didn't see the whole game either, uh, but I did see bits, uh, and it looked to me um, pretty much like what you would expect. England were kind of um plucky really um you know spain are a much better side technically and in terms of shape and um the way that they can keep the ball and everything else um but i look at england and you know i think hodgson at the moment has made them functional at least um i don't think you know england don't have the quality of player that perhaps they did sort of uh, 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago or whatever uh, anymore. So the first job was to try and get them organised and try and get some some team spirit amongst them because I don't think it was a particularly happy camp at the end of Fabio Capello's time in charge. Um, so I look at England at the moment and uh, I look at the Euros and just think there's absolutely no chance of them winning it. Um, would be my assessment. I mean, if Hodgson was to steer them to the last four, you'd have to say that would be a uh, a magnificent achievement, really, um, considering the group of the group of players he's got. I think qualification he, he's done very well. I think when you win every group game, you know it's not been done very many times before. I don't care what group you're in or or whatever. That's a very good achievement, and it shows that he is maximising, perhaps you know, or, or certainly if not maximising, getting more out of uh, this group of players than uh, perhaps the previous manager would have done. But you look at uh, areas of the pitch for England. And there really is a lack of quality. It's it's quite concerning, particularly defensively. I mean, I remember when I was younger. I mean, England had a an absolute plethora of of really top quality centre halves in particular. Uh, and you look now, and there just is you know Hodgson has got very little to work with, um, really. But uh, I also agree, Wayne Rooney is a problem, just like he is for his club. Uh, a big problem in the sense that managers don't seem to want to drop him because he he brings so much sort of hard work and enthusiasm and he's such a uh, a great professional and everything else. But at the moment, his form is so poor uh, that perhaps it would be better for England if they were just to get their heads around the fact that you know he is dispensable and um, you know maybe maybe they would operate better without him. Yeah, I kind of agree with uh, the points made already. To be honest, uh, really. Is one of the problem areas, um, and obviously he didn't he didn't play against Spain, so it's not really uh, overly relevant game. But um, I, I did watch the game. Um, the best one was obviously the um, over a kick. It was a really top draw goal from Spain's reserve centre back. Uh, sorry, reserve. So that just shows basically in a nutshell the lack of quality, you know, star quality that uh, England do have. Um, we've got players like Rooney who's supposed to be our best player on paper and um, we don't really think he should be in the team whereas Spain have got a reserve right back 
bombing forward and scoring over a kicks <laughs> past Joe Hart, who's one of the best keepers um, in the Premier League. So um, I suppose it sh- kind of shows you there, in, in a small sense, um, what Roy Hodgson is dealing with. Um, just uh, touching on Hodgson, I think he's actually, I'm no, obviously as a Liverpool fan, I'm no huge Roy Hodgson fan, but I think he's doing okay with the national team. Um, the football's not overly exciting, but it's not it's not terrible either. Um, we were kind of unlucky in the World Cup, and it was a great achievement to uh, win 10 out of 10 games in qualifying, which has only been done, I think, three times before. And each team that's done it has been a decent side. I think Holland are in there and Spain are in there, if I remember rightly. So Yeah, although Holland the, did crash on the group stages in the yeah, 2012. <laughs> yeah, I know, I do remember that. So uh, hopefully we don't fall down that trap hole. That would be... Pretty gutting after a solid um, qualifying campaign. So I, I think uh, just touching on whether Roy Hodgson would have a great achievement on his CV if England got the last four. I think if Hodgson got us to the last four of a major tournament, I think he'd go down in mythology as the best England manager since the guy, since uh, since we won it in '66 because we've had that many um, that many round of 16 and quarter final defeats. I think it's getting to the point now where if somebody did get us into that last four, we'd, we'd explode with joy. <laughs> so <laughs> especially after um, the world cup, which was bitterly disappointing, especially after such a decent performance against Italy in the first game, um, which gave quite a bit of hope actually um, to the fans. So yeah, this it's one of those in the moment. He's not working with a world-class squad and he definitely doesn't have any star quality glittered into the squad, but He's doing an okay job, and against Spain, it was functional, but obviously lacking the star, the star power to beat one of the best teams in the world. Yeah, and then quickly before we move on, obviously there's been a lot of media discussion this week about Mauricio Pochettino and his statistics on how many players he's gotten through that England team. Ten. Uh, when Hodgson decides to retire with triumphant fanfare for coming forth, um, is that a name that you'd like to see? Uh, thrown around for the England job? Is that who you'd like to be the next England manager? I, I think I want to see Alan Pardew just just for the just to make it more entertaining, really. Yeah, Pochettino had a very exciting uh, interview. That's for sure. No, no, just just because Pardew's just, just a ball, and they just <laughs> wherever he goes, it's just amazing. So I think if he, he'd give, bring a bit of entertainment to International Week, and then everybody can see how bad he is, so that's always a bonus. No, I think uh, Pochettino is a possibility, but I, I think it's probably a, a too soon for him to think about international management, really. I mean, he's only been in the Premier League for, what is it, three, four and a half years, four. something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Kind of bit, yeah, bit too early for him to be thinking of international management. I think maybe Mourinho is a more interesting name, but I, I think could could happen. Um, well, I think he... It's quite difficult for for England to attract sort of the biggest name managers because most of those thrive on the sort of day to day club management. So, uh, if Pochettino was interested, I'd certainly um, I would certainly consider him if I was part of the FA, because if they want to, you know, they probably want to stick with a British manager or an English manager, but the the quality is just not there. I mean, Alan Pardew would be an embarrassment, wouldn't he, to lead the national side? So that's not really an option in in my eyes. Uh, and then you look beyond him, and there really isn't very much, very much available at all. Um, so I think, I think Brendan Rodgers would have a would have a possible shout. Ooh. I think. Yeah, interesting. Um, I think, yeah, Pochettino could be another one. But I mean, really, does international football have the same glamour as perhaps it once did? I mean, 
you hear Bobby Robson talk about, you know, when he was offered the job and, and you know, when he did the job and stuff like that. And it, it feels like a different era. I think international football has become so secondary now uh, to the club game that um, perhaps managing England maybe isn't as uh, as an enti- enticing an offer as perhaps it, it would have been uh, in years gone by. <laughs> I absolutely love the... Um... Sorry for the uh, random laugh there, but I was just laughing at my own little joke in my head. Um, Alan Pardew as the England manager, and someone, uh, I think it was one of the two, I can't remember which one of his it was, said it would be embarrassing, but I think it'd be so funny. It'd be like lads on tour, like Pardew, kicking it up with the England squad around <laughs> the world. It's just, <laughs> the thought of it just makes me laugh. I, 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 as a Liverpool fan, Pardew's not exactly our best friend. He seems to beat us everywhere he goes, and he was giving it the all you know, finger-to-mouth silence treatment to Klopp the other day at Anfield in front of his fans. So he's a bit of a character, but obviously I, d- I wouldn't want Pardew in. Um, Mourinho is obviously the shout, but whether or not we can pull in such a play- um, sorry, such a manager. Yeah, and especially considering the, the terms he's on right now with the English media. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, that that'd take a lot of turning awesome. round. And you, the England manager is usually someone who is loved by the media as well, so... As in, like, you know, before they get selected, um, Hodgson mm. was a very popular pick. Red Nap, who was linked with it, was also a popular pick. Um, so, yeah, that, that probably wouldn't happen. I think Rodgers is an interesting one. When when he was flying high with Liverpool, I used to, I was I was often saying that I would love it if Rodgers would, um, you know, go as part of Hodgson's um, backroom staff to the Euros and maybe... Obviously, it it was too it was too close to the time because it was like it was the tournament was that summer and in our best season that was twenty fourteen. Mm. It would have been literally last minute preparation, but it, I always thought that'd be a really cool option and maybe because he's quite well, we thought he was you know well he's still young but a progressive coach, a tactical coach, someone who likes to work with players, um, sort of as a mentor and a friend. Well, that's what you thought until the things started you know going south and then you realise that some of it wasn't true but at the time I thought it was a great shout whether he, I think the, I think his ego would certainly suit the role because <laughs> he's um, being the England manager it still it still carries a lot of gravitas um, it's not exactly it's not like managing Burnley or anyone lower do you know what I mean it's got a lot of pulling power um, on your CV so I think it'd suit Rodgers in that respect whether or not he could work with um, all the players um, on a less frequent basis because something he complained about a lot um, when Liverpool were in Europe is that he didn't have the training time on the pitch with the players uh, midweek and that really hindered him it like really strongly hindered him um, once Liverpool were in the in the Champions League at the start of uh, 2014-15 so it's one of those um, would he would he would it suit him not really sure um, Robin Roberto Martinez, he's one I've I've looked mm. at the same in the same way as Rogers, but Pochettino was a good shout. He's he's come good. He's someone I doubted when he first went to Spurs. I sort of thought mm, he's had a a good, a, little, a good little spell with Southampton, but can he transform it to a much, to a much bigger club? And he's he has done well. Um, it's been a slow process in some respects, but the the ideas seem to be there now, and it's and Tottenham look a really fearsome outfit at times. So um, it wouldn't be a bad shout at all. I'd be I'd be right behind him if uh, Pochettino was appointed. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point about uh, kind of maybe questioning the Pochettino appointment. The other names at that time, if people will recall, was Van Gaal before he took the United job and Frank de Boer, who's still at Ajax. And if you look at how both of them are doing at the moment, it kind of makes you really appreciate what we have 
we always knew that Bengal would have been a stopgap. Well, I, I was on the DeBoer side, and things at Ajax are going south quickly. Um, internally, they got rid of some of their backroom staff recently. There's a whole thing going on. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased with Pochettino. Uh, and that kind of helps bring us into the topic where we're going to be talking about what our club's short-term and long-term ambitions are and how that project is going currently. Uh, of course, Tim Sherwood's famous. Every manager likes to talk about the project. The project is you win games or you get sacked. Well, uh, yeah, that kind of got him in. <laughs> back in that Aston Villa uh, job that he had. But for Tottenham, uh, Pochettino, I think, has done an excellent job. And so as, as far as short-term goals are, the fan base wants top four. I still don't think that's what the goal should be this year. I think this is still a building year, and then next year is when we really challenge for it. But you can understand why fans are getting a little anxious about it with Manchester United struggling to score goals. You have Liverpool that are there or thereabouts. Chelsea, obviously, struggling greatly uh, closer to the relegation battle than to the top four battle. Uh, so I'm very, I'm very pleased with where we are now. I just wish we'd lay off the like top four bust thought this season. Is this the best window? Yes, but I don't think this is the best we're going to be in the next couple of years. Uh, only time will tell on that. Long term is a much more interesting prospect. I think we have enough youth uh, that we can withstand the stadium build. And that is obviously a sharp turn from where I thought we were just a month and a half, two months ago, where I was very concerned. And I think on this very show was mentioning, you know, Arsenal got knocked down from title contenders, the top four. Uh, what's that going to do to us? Uh, but I, I genuinely think we kind of have the young players to carry us through. I don't think they'll all stay. You know, three years from now, will Vertonghen be with us? Probably not. Eriksen, probably not. Lamela, I wouldn't expect so. Um but we just have so much young talent. I mean, Nathan Ottawa is doing very well up in Scotland. We have Josh Onama, who I think just scored in the U19s for England today, yesterday. One of those days, depending on when you're listening. Uh, then obviously the likes of Dyer and Mason and Ben Taleb, who a lot of people have forgotten about already, uh, coming back and playing a little bit in his Algeria match. Uh, Alex Pritchard, who was supposed to be our best young player this year, out with an injury till February, uh, can either play where Ericsson plays or uh, on either wing. So we, we just have a ton of young talent at the club, and it's a very exciting time. Milos Velkovic, who apparently Pochettino doesn't just rate at all, but uh, is a very decent uh, prospect for both central defensive mid and as center back. So I think we're going to be okay. I think for Tottenham, we are on track with what the structural goals are. Do we still need a little bit more in terms of funds? Yes. And the problem is that they're there. We just don't like spending them. You have situations like the Charlie Austin thing where everybody kept linking us to Charlie Austin and Levy basically flat out said that I'm not interested because there's not resale value. I mean, okay, but if Harry Kane gets hurt, now you have a, a second striker as opposed to if he got hurt right now, we'd be trying to play Hyungman Sun, who just came back from injury or Clinton and G who was incredibly raw. Uh, so the funds being there aren't the issue the funds being available is what's the issue uh and you you do wonder how much of that is penny pinching knowing that the stadium uh development was coming so i i do wish we had more to spend there would probably accelerate the development uh but as we stand now you know two or three years from now i think tottenham are going to be wholly part of that top four it's just how do we bridge now to then without the fan base getting disenfranchised with pochettino 
or with Levy or with ownership or anything like that. Uh, but all in all, I'm fairly confident with where we are right now. All right, Jake obviously brought in Steve McLaren in the summer. Didn't come off to the hottest of starts. Looked like you were turning it around. The Sunderland result obviously set public perception back. How are you feeling about Newcastle, and what are those short-term to long-term objectives? Um, yeah, I think I think I've always been pretty positive about Newcastle this, uh, this season when I've come on here, which which is surprising considering how bad we've been at times. But you can definitely see we're moving in the right direction. I think we're a much we're in a much better position than we were twelve months ago under Pardew. That's for certain. We've got a good coaching setup. I think it's starting to starting to pay dividends. Um, with some of our performances, I think we've played well in a lot of games this season, haven't got the points. And then, you know, we went to Bournemouth and played horrifically and got the points. So, you know, it just sort of shows that things do level themselves out eventually. So, um, yeah, I think McLaren was a good appointment. I think he, he had a horrible job to start with, turning around the sort of the bad attitude at the club, the losing mentality. I mean, it was always going to take time. And I think you're slowly starting to see that mentality going and you're starting to see sort of we've found a tactic that works. We're sort of causing teams problems. And, yes, yeah, it's, it's good. It's, it's, I think we're in a good place. But, I mean, as for a project, I don't think there is one. I think we're, we're still sort of the buy, buying to sell on, sort of staying in the Premier League, doing, doing whatever we can to get Ashley sort of that cash cow sort of mid-table sort of Premier League club, which... It's not really that exciting, but I mean, we've we've we're making moves to try and become more more. So we're trying to we're trying to be more sort of exciting, and so we're trying to target the cups more, which is a, a definitely a positive move. I mean, it didn't really work out in the Capital One Cup for one reason or another, but hopefully in the next couple of years we will go on that that cup run that we haven't been on for years. Because I think if you're gonna if you're gonna be a Premier League club and you you're not gonna target sort of the European places, you got you got to target the cups because otherwise, what, what is your point? What is the point of being a club? You know what are you doing? You're just you're just taking money from from your supporters and you're giving them nothing back. So I think I think the club's finally seen that we're gonna target the cups. I mean we've. The investment we did in the summer showed that maybe we are trying to progress a little bit, but I don't think it's enough to sort of get us where the likes of Southampton, West Ham, those sort of clubs are. I don't think we're, we're there yet. I don't. I think we could be there in the next couple of years if we do keep investing, like like Ashley says, he is going to. But with Mike Ashley, it's one thing you just don't you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, we could go on and sell loads of our players in January, and then we'd be back at square one, which would be disappointing. I think at the start of the season we spoke about how Newcastle had some of the uh, probably as a club have more players under 23 that are like really exciting than most other clubs in the league. So you got the likes of Mitrovic, Perez, who has been linked with pretty much every club under the sun this week, which is yeah. worrying. But um, yeah, you got Mbemba and um, Wijnaldum, and you got all these players. It's got sort of an exciting club to be at, and you've got like. We're finally getting players coming through the youth, youth setup, like Adam Armstrong, who I think is the top scorer in England this season. I could be wrong, but I think he is for Coventry. And he's definitely a player who's going to go on to be something. We've got Freddie Woodman, who's the uh, under-19 England keeper, who could make his debut for us this year, I think, because he's definitely somebody who's far more pro- more progressed than his age says he should be. So, I mean, we've got we've got a lot of good young players, and that's exciting, but it's one thing having them, and it's another... To, uh, develop them, uh, developing them as a team, which we need to do. I think we need to keep players. I think Perez is definitely a player we need to keep. That's going to tell us a lot about Newcastle's ambition. Obviously, we can't turn down stupid bids because we're. Just, I mean, no 
no club can, but if you look at him, he's definitely a player who's been in the Premier League for over a year now. He's shown he has the technical abilities. De- and I mean, if he's shining for a club who have not played well at all since he got joined. So that sort of shows a lot about him as sort of a player and how he's got a good attitude. And I mean, I don't think he's going to go in January. I don't think any club's going to spend what we want for him. But it's the summer. We need to keep keep hold of these players and start and develop into a team like like. Southampton, you know, they 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 sell players, but they they had them long enough that they had the team set up, and it was easy just to replace one of them. Whereas we're in the place where we don't have the team set up yet, so we need to keep these players, develop them into a team. And once we've got the team, we've sort of got the the tactics set out, and everybody knows their job, and we've had a good year and a half with a settled team, then we can start thinking about selling them and bringing replacements in. Because right now we've just not had a settled team and you can't just sell one player and just expect somebody else to come in and do the same job because that job hasn't really been set out. So it's, I mean, it's a lo- I'm a lot more positive about Newcastle than I was a year ago, but it's still, as a project, I still think we're, we're very undecided on the direction of the club. Yeah, a very noticeable absence from there was a player that was also up for signing along with Eric Dyer and was rated very similarly in Jamel Lascelles. Lascelles. Yeah, yeah. I know at the beginning of the season you said it was pretty disappointing in preseason. Is that continuing to be the case as he started to turn things around with the youth setup? Or I don't, I don't think he's really played much for the first. I don't know what's what's happening with him. I think, I think he had a poor season before us last season when he went back to them on loan. Um, obviously, we've got. We've got Colatini and Mbemba, and I just don't see him getting in ahead of either of those. I mean, you could argue he deserves to be in ahead of Colatini because he's been poor this season, but you're not going to drop the captain. He's played a few games here and there, sort of as a substitute when, when sort of like Colatini's been sent off or one of the defenders been injured. He looked okay, but it's far too early to judge him. Yeah, I think he'll get an opportunity eventually. I mean, it's Newcastle, we get injuries like anyone, so he's going to get a chance. Michael Williamson's gone out on loan, so he's obviously above him in the pecking order. And Stephen Taylor's injured, so right now he is our third-choice centre-back, so he should get a chance over the, the coming weeks. But he's still young, and I I, I don't know. I, I haven't really seen enough of him to say whether whether he's going to go on and do anything or not. Mm. All right, Rob, obviously a very different proposition speaking about Manchester <coughs> City and the project that's occurring there. Uh, very well-written piece from you, by the way, on a very similar topic uh, on the Manchester Evening News, talking about Pellegrini with the Guardiola rumors that are all happening. Obviously, his connection to Cheeky Bagaristan. I really need to avoid all these <laughs> difficult names. Um, but is is that what you're thinking mostly is that you probably should stick with Pellegrini? Is that what the fans want? And do you think you would progress more if you brought in someone like Guardiola? Yeah, I mean, I think the the situation's pretty straightforward, really, in the sense that the club really, really respect Pellegrini. Um, And I think that was proven um, in the summer when they gave him the one-year contract extension, although that was perhaps more to do with alleviating some of the media pressure uh, that was inevitably going to build up. I think it gave him room to kind of say, look, I've been given a a one-year contract extension beyond this season, so, uh, you know, get off my back. Um, I think what... It's fairly straightforward in the sense that if Guardiola became available, um, they would make the move, I think, 
from what I understand, Cheeky Bagiristan is is in um, you know dialogue with Pep Guardiola and has been you know for years, two, three, four times a week. They're on the phone. Same with Ferran Soriano, who's the chief executive. So there's clearly a very strong relationship there between the kind of decision makers at City and Pep Guardiola and his team. Um, I think he is. I mean, I remember when Mancini was sacked and the club released a statement saying that they had a quote holistic vision um and they wanted a manager who fit the holistic style of the club i'm not sure pellegrini's been that guy i mean i'm a massive fan of pellegrini i think he's fantastic i think in terms of what he's done to the first team uh, he's revolutionized it the style of play is better the you know the the number of goals city score is fantastic two trophies in his first year that's only ever happened at city once before in their history don't think he's got enough credit for the job he's done but i don't see him as a holistic manager in the sense that he doesn't have much interest in the youth team he's very much solely to do with um, first team affairs and that's all that seems to concern him whereas Pep Guardiola would be a manager who you would see at the academy Um, and don't forget City have opened well uh, it's been open almost a year now it was opened in December uh, 150 million pound um, academy which is a first team and uh, youth player youth development centre um, you know, they have children from eight right up until the first team all training in one centre. It's absolutely mind blowing in terms of its scale uh, and it, and its brilliance. And I think that that is central to the club's future. And they want a manager who is who is going to be able to manage that uh, as well as, um, you know, the first team. They, they want a manager who's very much aware of all the young players and is willing to give them an opportunity. So I think in every sense, Guardiola fits the bill. I also think in in the media, uh, in the way that he deals with the media, I think City needs something more from their manager now. I think every appointment is a reaction to the last one. Um, Pellegrini was certainly an appointment that was a reaction to Roberto Mancini. Roberto Mancini was causing problems. Um, you know, he was very sort of, he would row with players. He, you know, he had many a row with Brian Marwood, who at the time was the chief executive and he's well liked. And he used to go public with a lot of this stuff. Now the Abu Dhabi United group, you know, let's make no bones about it. The reason they've invested in city is because they want to launder their, or, you know, they want to promote their country. Um, you know, and they want a club that represents those values. And I think that they saw Pellegrini, who is incredibly respectful and uh, deals with the media in a certain way as the perfect antidote, perhaps, to the uh, to the Mancini era. Now, two and a half years in, it's almost as if, you know, City need perhaps something a bit more, um, you know, a more sort of suave, charismatic manager to take them to the next level. Um Pellegrini straight bats every answer uh, in every press conference and in every interview, which, you know, for a while was what the club wanted, uh, but maybe not so much anymore. So, to, you know, to cut it short, I think the club um, hugely admire Pellegrini, respect him. I think the fact that they let Klopp um, go elsewhere this summer when they had the opportunity to pull the trigger on Pellegrini says a lot. I think the only there's only a handful of managers they think um, would 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 come in and, and take over from him, and obviously Pep Guardiola is absolutely at the top of the list. And if he was to intimate this summer that he was prepared to move when his contract expires, I don't think there's a lot Pellegrini could do to to stop that from happening. But it has been put to me 
tenuously and not from somebody at the club, um, somebody who claims they've heard this, is that perhaps Pellegrini would be offered a role um, within the club, um, but just not as first team manager anymore. I know that his wife um, didn't move over from Chile immediately. It took her about a year to come over. I don't think she's particularly um, thrilled to be here. So maybe some kind of scouting role in South America or some ambassadorial role or maybe a role even on, you know, this sort of technical side of the board of directors even. I don't know, but I know that they admire him greatly. Um, they've shown great patience and they, you know, they like him a lot. But Guardiola to them is the dream manager. All right. And his term. Uh, all right. And as far as short term goals, Obviously, coming into the season, a lot was made uh, of how you would fare in the Champions League. People saying maybe that's where your objectives would lie. Obviously, sitting top of the table now. If you had to choose one competition to really go full force in, which would it be? Uh, I think most any City fan would say the Premier League. I don't think the, the fans haven't fallen in love with the Champions League, really. And I think that you know, the, there's a thirst from the fans to reclaim the title, having, you know, sort of whimpered really in the in the defence of it last time. However, from the club's perspective, I think you might get a different answer because I think they know that for them to start achieving their ambitions globally, um, they know that they have to be impacting the latter stages and they have to get the Champions League win at some stage, but they're in no rush to do that. They're a, they're a patient bunch, really. But I think impacting the latter stages and showing that City are deserving of being at that top table, um, you know, of of European football is very important to them. I think if Pellegrini was to win the title this year and get to the semi-final of the Champions League, you'd have to look at that as uh, hugely successful, really. Um, But whether he's got the capability to do that, I'm not sure, because you look at English clubs in the Champions League and they look technically well short of their opponents. And I would include City in that, really, despite the the last group game, obviously, when they went to Seville and won, which was uh, hugely impressive and was their best performance in the competition. All right, thanks. And Zach, obviously very fresh into the Klopp era, already faltering at Crystal Palace, I jest. But... uh... How are you thinking that this is going to go for you in the short term slash long term? Uh, obviously, people probably expecting top four, much like they expect from us for this season. What what heights do you think you could reach under club? I think the short term goal uh, at the moment is is it's a very raw subject at the moment. It's simply to get the fans to believe like Klopp has come in and he said this a couple of times the first thing he said in fact I think on the LFC TV interview was that it, everyone needs to change from doubter to believer and at first you would you thought oh like I can see all these people they are sort of like already changing like people are starting to like you know refine their love for the game after such a turgid um, period under Rogers, but as soon as as soon as the team hits any strife, half of the fan base turns. It's it's a very frustrating thing. Liverpool's fan base is not what what it once was. It, not in terms of numbers, certainly in terms of numbers, it's probably still growing all the time. But um, as a Liverpool fan, I get really angry at the fact that a lot of our support now are fair weather, and you don't seem to get back in the day even. I'm only 22 years old, so I, I'm, I don't pretend to have seen the glory days or when our support would literally shake stadiums and stuff like that. But under Benitez, if the team was losing, 
there was always a chance that we could get back into this game and the fans would sing the hearts out and it was like it would help as soon as Liverpool went behind against Palace, literally, I'm, I'm, I was there. I, I mean, as soon as we went behind, eighty-first minute or whatever it was, at least forty percent of the stadium stood up with it before the game had actually kicked off again. Eighty-one minutes. There was, there was like thirteen minutes of the game left, including uh, in uh, stoppage time. There, that's literally an absolute chasm of time that you can score multiple goals in that time. You can make an absolute din. You can pick the players up in that time. There's so much that could have happened. And what must it feel like for the players to see half of the fans who are supposed to believe in you and support you, they just give up? What? Are they, how? How is? How does that help That when you see you support? It's like, it's like me if I was at school football. If I saw like my mum or my dad leave because I just made a mistake, like I'd feel absolutely horrendous. I mean, I know these guys are getting paid big money to perform, and maybe they shouldn't need a pick me up from the from the people who are watching them in the stands. But it's such a psychological thing. As soon as you see them leave, I I I would want to give up. I would be like, oh, they don't care. Oh well, it'll go. Maybe it'll go better next time. You know what I mean? It's very it's very frustrating to, to see the and. People people don't sing anymore. And this is one of the... I know I'm kind of rambling on. This is like the short-term goal. We need to get people to enjoy going to Anfield again. We need to get a new generation of fans going. T- play, uh, players w- will react to, sound, to a louder sound. And I think it's about time that Anfield and Liverpool started to promote some sort of youth policy whereby people under the age under a certain age could get tickets for maybe slightly cheaper and have some some of the members' tickets reserved for this section of the fan base, something like that. But that's certainly the short term goal. Um other than that we need to just keep trying to, you know, get to grips with Klopp's philosophy, try and get the fitness up for the um for the pressing for the pressing uh, mantra to uh, fully become ingrained. Um stuff like that. Obviously results at the moment are not a huge Factor obviously we want the we want the wins but we we want to be playing a good brand of football we want to learn how to play under Klopp we want to be ready for the start of next season especially and obviously we want to improve as this one's going on this is not a complete write off of a season top forty is still available so that's sort of like the medium long term we want to climb as high as possible in the league and also take the Europa League seriously as well if the um, mm. squad permits it but the amount of injuries we have at the moment is 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 crippling especially with the first team. So, yeah, the long term would be obviously top four, similar to Spurs. Liverpool and Spurs are probably the two most identical clubs at the moment. We've both got stadium expansions going on. We both want to be in the top four. We're both in the Europa League regularly. We're competing for the same players. Um, We we experience similar similar runs in form and stuff like that. So it's a great barometer to to tie into. and especially we have quite similar managers. Um, both of them believe in super high fitness, n- um, don't want to give up, especially in the last 10 minutes of games. You've seen mm. how many points Pochettino was stolen um, in the last few minutes for Spurs. Yeah, through fitness, and Klopp, yeah. Exactly, and Klopp's very very much on that page. So the clubs, in, in many ways, are very similar at the moment. So it's, having seen Tottenham progress finally into, into a very consistent team and you're on a nice one beating run at the moment, that's sort of like our yardstick at the moment. Um, obviously not City or Chelsea because they have too much money really to compete, although we do have money, we just spend it badly. But obviously they still do have more money, so Tottenham's definitely the one to compare to. Um, hopefully in a couple of years, Klopp said it, he wants to win a title. He didn't mean the title, he was in the league, he meant a trophy. But um, in four years, so 
hopefully we can win the Europa League or something like that in his first three or four years and maybe get in top four. Obviously, tight chance would be brilliant, but no one holds the breath for that at the moment. We're mm. just um, we're in the learning curve at the moment. Yeah, and obviously part of that mid to long term plan is uh, Klopp kind of maneuvering the squad to look like a, a Klopp side instead of a lot of holdovers, obviously, from the Rodgers era. Which players yeah, would definitely. you expect to see go uh, as Klopp tries to chisel his uh, vision out of what Liverpool currently have? Um, t- to be quite perfectly honest, I've been slightly surprised by how many players Rodgers and Klopp both liked. I mean, Lalana was basically Rodgers' son. Like, he loved him. So much, so and but but Klopp as well absolutely adores the guy. I mean, it's like us with Bentaleb. We thought Bentaleb was only a Sherwood favorite, and then Poch came yeah. in. He's like, no, 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 we still love him. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of strange. Um, I'm not a huge Lallana fan, and I, I it's a stick I used to beat Rogers with that he played him so often, often to the detriment of Coutinho as well because they don't work together very well. Um. In ter- so he's one I would expect to stay, even though I, I thought he wouldn't be that much fancied, especially being as Rogers just love to collect British players. Um, Joe Allen, um, he's one that I expect to probably leave eventually. I mean, the guy himself wants first team football, and he doesn't get it regularly enough with us. He gets games in the cups in the last twenty minutes in the prem. Um, He's one I thought Klopp would like because he can work his socks off and on his day, like, and he's genuinely a very good player. Um, but that day doesn't come often enough, and he's often injured shortly after finding one of those performances. So he's one I expect to leave simply because we can still generate some funds from him, and he doesn't seem very happy at playing a bit part role. Um, a few others people thought Lucas would go, but he's been a mainstay in the team. Um, although I would like to see an improvement in the DM area, and Klopp does like a, um, a defensive midfielder, so he he will definitely look to improve that area. Emery Good Jan, yeah, obviously, I'd <laughs> obviously love that. He's more of a box to box, but I'd, I'd take it anyway. Um, Emery Jan's going to be a mainstay simply because of the German connection. I think Klopp really believes in him, rightly so, because he's a talented player. He just needs to find his feet, and he is inconsistent because he is young and he's played a lot of football. But he's one I'd expect to stay. Um, I think in terms of the squad, it's difficult. It's re- it's really difficult to say who's going to go out because we've seen already. We sent a few players out on loan that didn't need to go out on loan because Rogers didn't fancy them. He's you know his little politics with the board and event. And now we see we're absolutely threadbare. We've got nothing in the squad. Like we're, we've had like three or four injuries and now we're absolutely snowed under. So it's difficult to say who's going to go because. Who can we afford to let go? Obviously, if it's if it's in terms of upgrading quality, then that's fine. It's in one for one, so maybe Lucas goes out and a better defensive midfielder comes in. But Klopp has not he's not sort of like shown that he dislikes any of the players yet because he's not been here long enough. And I'm sure himself, he doesn't really know who he wants to leave in January. Maybe he's got a few targets, and it's some Twitter rumours that we're in for that for Sane off Schalke and Timo Horn and uh, stuff like that. So. I'd be very, I'd be surprised if he knows all his targets and all these outgoings yet. But at the moment, it's very difficult to say because he hasn't really shown that he dislikes any of the players. Even Lovren's been getting decent game time, so it's difficult to say really, to be honest. Fair enough. And now we're going to wrap up with a little bit of player watch. 
Uh, obviously not expecting you to have watched all of your players in internationals, but we're just going to quickly go through and name some players at our club that have had a good international break. We'll start off with Jake. I can't say I've seen a lot of them, but I, I, will, t- I will talk what I do know. Um, Chancel Mbemba, I think he's had quite a good international break. He played well for um, the Congo against Burundi in their World Cup qual- uh, I think it's a World Cup qualifier, actually. I think he got... Um, they won the game and he played quite well, so that's always positive. I think um, Jarmark played the full 90 minutes for Holland, and they they beat. You know, wait, waited until it was a friendly, <laughs> then decided to start winning. Great. Yeah, I know. I I don't know how he played. Did, did you watch? Did you see Holland, Kev? Or... Uh, unfortunately, I, I really wanted to, but it was at the same time as the Ireland match, and since that yeah. quote unquote mattered. Uh, like I mentioned, it was a fog fest the whole time. But yeah, yeah. From what I was hearing, everybody was just very frustrated that we finally decided to show up. Now that it's a friendly instead of Euro qualifying, uh, yeah. obviously Robin being back in the fold does help significantly. I, I do have one interesting story about a Newcastle player on international break. It's not how he plays, but I, I hear Mitrovic got in a fight with one of his Serbian teammates, which you know, <laughs> that's always fun the to hear about. Surprising news. <laughs> it, 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 apparently Ivanovic had to break it up, which I thought oh, he, he, he's such a nutter. I don't even I don't even know how he does it. It's, it just reaches new levels of just being an absolute nut house each week. I love I love Mitrovic. I I, I think, love him too. He's just... I, I think Newcastle have got a fantastic player there as well. Actually, I think he's. Um, I've not seen a player be able to head the ball quite as well as him in a long time, and I think that this partnership with Little Perez has got the makings of uh, of something quite special. And I also think Wijnaldum's been one of the signings of the season and is, um, yeah. you know, sort of an absolutely phenomenal player and is certainly indicative of this new money that's coming to the Premier League, which means players of that quality are now going to be playing outside of the traditional top six. So although Newcastle's results haven't been good and obviously the, the management at the very top of the club is a shambles, I actually think there's some positives on the field. Um this year and uh, Mitrovic and and Wijnaldum would certainly be um, you know been two of my favourite players to watch this season. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that little triumvirate uh, triumvirate up front with Wijnaldum and uh, Mitrovic and Perez has uh, had some really good link up play already, and it's, it's only going to get better the more they play together, which is just really exciting as a Newcastle fan. But it's also you know what? It's it's always worrying as a Newcastle fan. They're they're not going to stay at the club for that long, any of them, because they're just they're just much better than what we are. But yeah, that's it is certainly exciting at the moment. And you have got Sissoko as well to add on to that, who on his day can be a very good player, but his days don't come uh, come enough. So I mean, as an attacking four, we should be a lot higher than 16. But I mean, there's 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 loads of time left. It's only been 12 games. All right, and uh, Rob, who has impressed for City on international duty? Um, well, I caught some of um, De Bruyne uh, for Belgium again, and he scored. I mean, this lad just seems to have a knack of um, supplying a key moment, either an assist or a goal, at uh, some stage of games, even when he doesn't play particularly well. Um, and he, he, he's con- continued that again um, in this game. And um, I think he's been... Um, I think better than anybody at City, well, you know, any of the City fans imagined, those of us who don't watch as much Bundesliga as perhaps we should, were um, were a little bit, you know, not concerned, but raised an eyebrow maybe at the at the fee, given he'd been sort of ushered out of Chelsea for 
eighteen million pound eighteen months previously. But uh, he's been an absolute revelation, and um, I think the club chased him very, very aggressively because they see him as one of those players who is um, of the ilk that they need and has got the potential to be one of the best players in the world, but wasn't one of those that was earmarked by Real Madrid, Barcelona or Bayern Munich because when those clubs target a player, you have to step aside and City have done it a couple of times. Uh, I'm thinking of Isco as probably the best example where they they thought they had a deal done and then at the last minute, Real Madrid sort of wooed him with... um, you know, talk of all the titles of the past and stuff like that. I think De Bruyne was one of those, they'd watched him a lot. Um, and I think that they knew that they were in pole position to get him and therefore had to do everything they could to get him. And uh, I have been absolutely staggered at just how good he is. I mean, his first touch is, you know, sensational. It really is. And uh, this ability he's got to play sort of threaded through balls and, and fine players is is remarkable, really. I've not... Uh, I've not really seen um, that ability um, with you know in quite such detail before. I'd seen this guy; he's been uh, he'd been a revelation, really. All right, thanks, Rob and Zach. Who impressed for Liverpool thus far? Um, I think the best performance that I've I didn't watch the game, but the best performance that I've heard of um, this week, and I did manage to catch a couple of highlights, was actually um, the much maligned Simon Mignolet. Um, he's had a bit of a troubled time um, with Liverpool at times obviously it's well documented um, had a tough moment against Palace when he probably could have saved the Scott Dan header a little bit better before Scott Dan buried the rebound so um, he's coming off um, some you know negative public feedback at the moment but um, Belgium won the game 3-1 I believe um, after going behind um, against Italy who obviously no pushovers most of the time um, I did see an absolutely exquisite save uh, from Mignolet. Um, I think the score was 2-1 at the time, but don't quote me on that. Um, it was from a corner. Um, it was headed down to his right-hand side, and he's just he's just he's one of those things that he does excel at, and but it doesn't quite cover over his, his other deficiencies, sadly. Um, it's just a brilliant reflex save to his right. Um, flicks it slightly higher and then manages to get it round the post for another corner. Um, with his fingertips, basically, it's it's an absolutely brilliant save. Um, hopefully, he can that will give him a bit more confidence, having been hammered after the Palace game. So I'm hoping that's just like a little mini comeback, that like you know a little pick me up that he probably needed after, um, you know, uh, a little just a little bad moment that you have in the, in the seasons, especially as in a unforgiving position like goalkeeping. So. Hopefully, um, using this as a springboard, he can get back to um, you know the seven, eight, seven out of ten player that he usually is. So yeah, that's probably Liverpool's best performer in the internationals. Um, Lallana was pretty quiet for England, so Milner was injured as well. So there's quite a lot of people missing in injuries, to be honest. In terms of star players, Ben uh, is not fully fit. Sturridge is out. Henderson's out. Milner's out. So I haven't, didn't really have that much to pick from, to be honest. But yeah, Mignolet, uh, Mignolet impressed, I think, and um, pulled off a really nice save against Italy. All right, well, I'm going to talk about a very little spoken about team, which is the Belgian national team. I'm pretty sure nobody's mentioned it this far today. Uh, All joking aside, Jan Vertonghen uh, did get to score a lovely header uh, in that win that both Rob and Zach have already mentioned with their Belgians. Uh, So I was very pleased with him. Uh, Unable to keep the clean sheet as Kondreva got in pretty early in that match. I think it was like within the first five minutes. But uh, all in all, yeah, pretty impressed by them continually. 
Uh, DeAndre Yedlin, obviously on loan, uh, set up an assist in the U.S. win over St. Vincent and the Grenadines, which I learned is a place. And uh, Ericsson uh, performed fairly well for uh, Denmark, uh, put in a couple of balls that definitely should have been goals and obviously helped uh, in, in their 2-1 uh, loss. But, you know, it could have been much worse uh, getting that crucial away goal so late in the match uh, has set them up for, you know, potentially an upset. Uh, to get into Euro 2016, which I think as Tottenham fans, we'd all love to see Ericsson getting to play some uh, big competition football. So, yeah, not too bad from a Tottenham perspective either. Harry Kane, I believe, got the start. Again, didn't get to watch that match, but apparently didn't uh, score. So uh, hopefully he can find that again as he continues for both England and Tottenham. All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, you can see uh, my stuff on uh, EPL Index and Total Dutch Football and some uh, various other sites. And you can uh, follow all of that on the, t- my Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. Yeah, thanks for listening and thanks to Kevin for having me on. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob Pollard underscore um, where I share my work from various platforms, um, usually covering Manchester City. Uh, yeah, I don't have much to plug at the moment. Um, I'm not writing because um, I'm trying to get myself through journalism, uh, co- uh, diploma, college, whatever, university add-on, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so, so I'm uh, kind of busy at the moment, obviously trying to make time to do podcasts because I just love speaking to Kev. So um, other than other than this one, which you're already listening to, I've got the Anfield Index Fantasy Football podcast that we release uh, every Wednesday or Thursday, record on Tuesdays. Uh, there isn't one this week because obviously it's internationals, but we will be recording Tuesday, so we'll be back with that. Um, also got a Twitter account uh, for uh, FPL updates, AI Fantasy Footy, and also my own Twitter account, Zach Forster underscore AI, if you want to listen to some of my uh, EPL ramblings. Thanks for listening again. Cheers. Yeah, thanks to these guys for my shout outs and their outros. <laughs> I am at Kevroff on Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to find me, I'm always on there talking all things, both footballs, sometimes a little baseball. It gets random, so uh, feel free to follow that. Um, I also write for blog.playtaga.com and theeaglespeak.com in fantasy aspects, so feel free to check those out if that tickles your fancy. Uh, also host the FPL Roundtable, which is the fantasy pod we do that is up Thursday morning, so before, be sure to check that out. And yeah, uh, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.